0: The uh, Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being here today, Mr. Karen Cross. Uh, Fifteen years ago, the administration <clears throat> and advocates for effective foreign and uni- uh, aid united behind a simple concept. It is in the U.S. interest to help countries help themselves by breaking down the constraints to market-based growth. And from this concept, the Millennium Challenge Corporation was born. The MCC, as it's known, uh, recognizes that aid is only effective in countries that demonstrate continuous commitment to good governance, economic freedom, investing in their own people, and most importantly, a government free of economic corruption and theft. Its competitive data-driven selection process creates an important incentive for countries to adopt difficult but necessary reforms. Its focus on accountability for results helps ensure that the impact of MCC investments will endure long after the compact has ended. And its commitment to transparency, monitoring, evaluation, and learning is helping the U.S. and others do more of what works and less of what doesn't. Uh, Mr. Karen Cross, expectations for MCC are high. You have taken the helm following an extended period of drift during which time the agency has not performed and its commitment to the principles that make it special have been challenged. The American people deserve better. This moment, however, also presents an important opportunity to innovate and reinvigorate. I note the Board's recent decision to hold Ghana responsible for failing to uphold the terms of its second compact. No doubt this was a difficult decision to reach. Terminating aid for a trusted ally of many years could not have been easy, but it was the right thing to do. I trust that you will apply the same measure of accountability to other partners should they fail to maintain eligibility or stray from binding commitments. Moreover, I expect to see uh, you hold the agency itself accountable. It is essential that MCC uphold its foundational principles particularly its commitment to transparent, data-driven selection, design, monitoring, monitoring, and evaluation processes without political uh, interference. This hearing presents an important opportunity for you to set out your vision for MCC over the next 15 years. I am eager to hear how you intend to restore effective leadership, harness innovation, and accelerate regional economic invigora- in integration through the use of uh, concurrent compacts, particularly in Africa, where opportunities for growth and U.S. partnership transcend national boundaries. We also wanted to learn more about MCC's efforts to work with the newly established Development Finance Corporation to accelerate private sector-led growth while providing a viable alternative to China's malign development model. The stakes are high, and the challenges are many. But we trust that you are up to the task, or, of course, you wouldn't be uh, sitting here today. Our expectations are high. With that, I recognize
1: the ranking member, Senator Menendez, for his remarks. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you for holding today's Millennium Challenge Corporation's oversight hearing. And uh, thank you, Mr. Cross, for testifying before the committee. Uh, prior to Mr. Cairncross's uh, confirmation, there were several news reports about a growing toxic work culture at MCC. Latent cultural insensitivity and offensive communications for one of the acting CEOs. Repeated near violations of the Hatch Act, declines in the diversity of MCC's workforce, and concerns from development professionals so that the traditionally data- and results-driven development organization was taking on a distinctively unproductive political mission. Unfortunately, it seems that the White House Presidential Personnel Office's peculiar abuse of MCC's administratively determined hiring authorities to appoint a number of questionably qualified but well-connected job seekers at MCC was primarily responsible. In addition to our own internal information, the Washington Post diligently documented PPO's fraught hiring decisions and MCC's change, changing working environment throughout 2018, and I ask unanimous consent to enter into the record the Post series of investigative reports. It will be- MCC experienced several inauspicious leadership changes while the committee was vetting your nomination. While a good number of inappropriate leaders have departed MCC, including Robert Blau, the acting CEO who infamously gave a rambling and offensive all-hands speech that sent a chilling effect through MCC's ranks, so that uh, their departure uh, has actually uh, helped restore credibility to MCC. The question remains, why were these people given leadership roles, and what lasting impact will their presence have on MCC's effectiveness? Mr. Karen you received a number of questions for the record on these issues during your confirmation. In your answers, you committed to restoring MCC's professional culture. I appreciate that you took these concerns seriously and I look forward to your testimony on how you will strategically work to right the ship. Through it all, and with steady support from Congress, MCC continues to explore and execute compacts in developing countries. For 25 years, MCC has followed an innovative approach to international development by providing limited but ambitious investments in economically transformative projects in poor countries that demonstrate a willingness and capacity to meaningfully commit to specific standards of improved governance, transparency, and fair competition. MCC's data-driven approach assesses countries' constraints to economic growth, their needs to ensure a maximization on investments' returns each country receives. Americans benefit from these investments as strategic partner countries experience improved regional security through improved economic security, growing trade opportunities, and the ability to resist malign external influence. MCC is an important tool in the U.S. foreign policy toolbox that requires congressional support, including robust oversight to ensure the independent agency sustains its success. In addition to discussing your efforts to restore a sound and productive work environment at MCC, I also have a number of questions about some of MCC's active and pending compacts. My concerns about specific compacts are rooted in wanting to ensure MCC is dutifully executing its mission. The committee and the American people need assurances from you that MCC is adapting strategies to manage and resolve these concerns. For example, as the chairman mentioned in Ghana, MCC recently, and for good reasons, Terminated 190 million of MCC's 498 million compact with Ghana. I believe that was the right decision based on the findings of an independent audit of fraud allegations lodged by the Ghanaian government. However, I have questions around the budget implications of these funds returning to MCC, as well as the lessons or precautions MCC may be taking with the rest of the Ghana compact. Regarding Mongolia's water compact, Mongolia's dubious plan to service The outstanding 75 million debt its water authority has accrued by simply moving the debt to another division of the government hardly seems like a fiscally responsible plan that MCC should accept. I also have concerns about the Mongolia Millennium Challenge Account's lack of progress on developing a credible and sustainable revenue mechanism to pay for the long-term maintenance and operation of the project MCC is helping to build. In Sri Lanka, MCC has a $480 million compact pending the approval of the Sri Lankan government. Sri Lanka, however, has just elected a suspected war criminal, Gorabaya Rajapaska, as president. How will this affect the compact? I also have questions about Kosovo, El Salvador, Georgia, I believe MCC can continue to be a positive tool of American economic leadership. And I appreciate the chairman's interest in conducting oversight of this important development agency, and we look forward to your testimony. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank you, Senator Menendez. Uh, now we'll hear from the Honorable uh, Sean Karen Cross. He's the Chief Executive Officer of the Millennium Challenge Corporation. Prior to joining MCC, Mr. Karen Cross held a number of positions in the public and private sectors, including Deputy Assistant to the President and Senior Advisor to the White House Chief of Staff. He holds a JD from NYU School of Law and uh, from Cambridge. University and BA from American University. Ms. Karen Cross, you've heard both the, both the ranking member and I talk about some of the issues of the past. We really want to look forward. Uh, I think the, the ranking member and I share, as, long, as, as do other members of this committee, um, a, a real concern for how important this agency is. Uh, we, uh, uh, we obviously are challenged uh, internationally uh, in, in many different respects. Uh, this particular agency is one that uh, projects uh, American values, uh, projects uh, American ability to help people better themselves, and uh, as, as the chairman said, there's, there's challenges here. We really uh, uh, are trusting you to stand this agency up to do, uh, do good and uh, move forward well. So with that, uh, the floor is yours.
2: Thank you, Chairman Risch, Ranking Member Menendez, and members of the committee. I'd also like to recognize and thank Senator Isaacson for your long-term support uh, for the agency. Everyone is uh, very appreciative. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here today and talk about my first 100 plus days as uh, MCC CEO and also my priorities for MCC in the months ahead. It is a privilege to lead an agency with such a diverse, talented and dedicated staff. I'm grateful to President Trump for entrusting me to do so and I am thankful and grateful for this committee's support. I also wanna thank your staff members. The bipartisan support that MCC enjoys is a real testament to this body and I'd like to thank them uh, for their consistent engagement with MCC's work. Over the course of my first five and a half months at MCC, it has become clear to me that what really is the agency's strength are its core principles. Transparency, data, and frankly, most importantly, accountability, both for ourselves and for our partner countries. MCC's work to reduce poverty through economic growth and consolidate democratic and free market reforms in the world's best governed, poorest nations is critical to U.S. foreign development. Our partner countries are actively working to set their nations on a path towards self-reliance. There's no better way to learn this than to go see it. Each trip I take into the field better equips me to share the agency's work and to help guide the agency's mission. And since being confirmed, I visited six partner countries, Malawi, Cote d'Ivoire, El Salvador, Georgia, Niger, and Morocco, and visited nearly 20 project sites. I've spent time with hundreds of beneficiaries, and that's unquestionably the best part of each trip. In Malawi, I met with President Mutarika to push for continued performance on MCC's scorecard and sustainability of their power compact. I also met with Grace Gambi, an electrical engineering student who's earning her degree through an MCC-sponsored scholarship. After finishing school, Grace wants to return to support the implementation of MCC's compact by working at ESCOM, an electric company that's helping, to, uh, helping with the private sector uh, enterprise in Malawi. Following that visit, I headed to Abidjan to attend the AGOA Forum. I joined President Watara to mark the start of our $525 million compact with investments in education and transportation. I also signed a memorandum of understanding between the government of Cote d'Ivoire and the Bechtel Corporation to develop a national master infrastructure plan. I think this is a significant step in developing a sustainable infrastructure investment plan for Cote d'Ivoire in the years to come. In El Salvador, I met with President Bukele and had a great discussion on the importance of the private sector in creating a sustainable economy. We launched the bid for the country's first large-scale public-private partnership, and I also attended the opening of the first of 45 MCC-renovated schools. Just last month, I traveled to Niger and Morocco. In Niger, I met with President Nsufu and launched an investment in the agricultural sector in Kony. I then joined advisor to the president, Ivanka Trump, in Morocco, where we saw firsthand our joint efforts to increase women's economic empowerment through MCC and the Women's Global Development and Prosperity Initiative. Well in Rabat, we signed an implementation letter with the government to ensure that regulations for a new law advancing secure land rights for women are adopted by December 31 of this year. Advisor Trump and I also met with women in the GARB region who now have more secure ownership and inheritance rights for the collective lands on which they farm. WGDP is enabling the US government to target investments in women across the developing world in a coordinated way. MCC is grateful to Ivanka and to the administration for their support of our work in this regard. Each of these missions is invaluable and I look forward to continuing to visit the field. MCC's work reflects a model built on lessons of development experience, but I also seek to find new ways to build on that model and achieve greater impact. So we'll focus on four areas. One, empowering MCC's staff. Two, encouraging smart risk. Three, crowding in and enabling private development and dollars. Four, holding ourselves and our partner countries accountable. First, it is a priority for me to empower the incredible people who work at MCC. Through listening sessions, roundtable discussions, and daily conversations, I I walk around the building quite a bit. I learn daily and directly from staff about what the agency does well and what we can improve. And I continue to learn more about this every single day. Second, we'll further establish a culture of creativity that encourages smart risk including operationalizing MCC's concurrent compact authority. Markets don't stop at borders, and nor should MCC's investments. We must increase our risk tolerance if we want greater successes across the board. This is at the root and the core of the design of MCC. Third, crowding in and enabling private investment throughout the life cycle of our programs is vital. We know that government-to-government dollars are not enough. We need private investment and job creation to develop healthy market economies. This is the primary driver of true sustainable economic growth. And finally, accountability. Without it, we can't do our best work with our partner countries or for the American taxpayer. MCC will not throw good money after bad. We will adhere to our principles and follow our model. Two recent examples emphasize this MCC's board of directors unanimously agreed to terminate a portion of the Ghana power compact when a key condition was not met. In Sri Lanka, MCC is continuing to monitor as the new government takes shape. As with all MCC partners, we expect Sri Lanka to remain committed to MCC's eligibility criteria, including with respect to the rule of law, political rights, and civil liberties. All this is to say, by investing in staff, innovating and taking smart risks, crowding in private dollars, and holding ourselves and our partners accountable, I'm confident that MCC will continue to deliver on our mission. Thank you for today, and I look forward to your questions.
0: Thank you much. Uh, We appreciate your leadership, and with that, uh, Senator Menendez. Uh,
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Thank you for your statement. Uh, Congress created MCC to operate differently uh, than most federal agencies. One of the qualities Congress gave the MCC was a unique uh, set of hiring mechanisms to allow the agency to act nimbly to bring in issue or sector experts according to the needs of a compact. For practical purposes, the administratively determined or AD personnel slots at MCC are political hires. Prior to your confirmation, it became evident that the White House Presidential Personnel Office was using MCC's generous allotment of AD slots to provide political patronage jobs to Trump loyalists with questionable qualifications. Brock Bierman, during his brief stint as acting CEO, took this issue seriously, uh, though he was fired before he could work to resolve these issues. So in concern about those issues. Is PPO still calling the shots at uh, how MCCAD slots are allocated and to
2: whom? Senator, with respect to how things were handled before I got there, I wasn't a part of that. What I can tell you is the only way I know how to run an effective agency or uh, entity is that form has to follow function. The needs of the agency and of the mission are what drive hiring decisions at MCC. Those decisions are based on the qualifications of the individuals and the needs of the roles uh, that they will fill. And MCC's hiring decisions, since I have been there, have been MCC's decisions. Okay. So PPO is not calling the shots at this time. MCC's hiring decisions are MCC's, sir. Okay. Uh, And... uh, so, so at this point, uh, let
1: me just to make sure, the PPO has no role in MCC hiring decisions?
2: PPO, when we go through our process of finding uh, an administratively determined position, and I believe, and the agency believes that they are qualified, I share that information with the White House to make sure that they agree for, that they are qualified. We've had no disagreements to date, I expect none. Uh, and I will continue to follow my process.
1: Now, do you share uh, Mr. Bierman's concerns with how PPO is using MCC's AD
2: hiring authority? All, Senator. All I can r- really say is with respect to how I am going to operate and how I've been operating since I've been there. Like I said. The needs of the agency and the mission are what drive our decisions. So in
1: that regard, are MCC's uh, unique hiring authorities being used to hire issue specialists and experts needed to uh, work on specific compacts and projects?
2: Yes. The qualifications of the requirements of the job and the roles are what govern the decisions and they are matched with qualified individuals.
1: Mr. Bierman uh before he left uh, briefed my staff on the memo and draft plan for investigating misappropriation of personnel slots.
2: Are you aware of this plan? Uh, I know I during my confirmation process I discussed it with your staff yes. Uh if uh,
1: but other than discussing with them, have you read the the plan?
2: No I don't know the details of the plan. Okay <laughs> um Let me ask you this,
1: I won't rehash Mr. Blau's transgressions other than to say he made statements to MCC personnel that were culturally offensive, highly inappropriate in any work environment, let alone a federal agency. His message had a chilling effect on personnel, some of whom were so alarmed that they felt compelled to inform this committee of his conduct. Uh, He's gone, thankfully, so that's a good thing but his words still raise concerns about MCC's commitment to workforce diversity. Uh, Have any of MCC's policies towards maintaining workforce diversity changed under your administration?
2: Senator, as I said in in my confirmation hearing, I take diversity very seriously. I believe it's something that ought to be celebrated. It's something that um, improves the decision-making of any organization, particularly one such as MCC, involved in international development work. I have made my position on this abundantly clear to staff, and I am very hopeful that that position from the top has resonated throughout.
1: You said something very similar uh, in response to my question for the record uh, regarding promotion of diversity among MCC's workforce by saying, if confirmed, I'll set a tone from the top of the agency that diversity is critical to effective work and highly valued. I will participate in diversity and inclusion refresher training sessions and require that all senior leadership participate along with me. I will seek to hire from as broad a pool of potential applicants as possible, including internal and external MCC candidates in order to increase both female and minority staff members at MCC. What steps have you taken to realize that commitment to workforce diversity that you made to the committee?
2: done exactly uh, that Senator I one of the first things that I did as CEO was introduce a uh, diversity workshop at the agency um, that was that was being featured that week. Uh, I've continued to participate on all levels with staff whether it's with our uh, women's group um, uh, and shown direct involvement and engagement with that. We've drawn from a broad pool of candidates for hiring decisions since, uh, since my time there. We have uh, promoted uh, a number of, uh, of in particular women among the senior team. And I look forward to continuing that commitment and also working closely with your staff. I know um, they've been very engaged on this issue and we've had I think very good dialogue on it and I expect it to continue. I I appreciate
1: that. Uh, I I hope that diversity, and I'm I'm all for greater diversity, certainly uh, on gender, uh, but I hope that diversity is also uh, included uh, across other lines as well so that we reflect to the world what America is all about and the work that MCC does uh, should be a reflection of that.
2: If I wasn't clear, sir, I I agree with you, and I am committed to that as well.
1: Uh, finally, um, uh, Mr. Blau left MCC before your confirmation. You nevertheless committed in responses to questions for the record that you would review any staff complaints made against him. Did you complete this review and if so, what were your findings?
2: The, uh, I addressed those issues with staff in an all hands on the second day of my time there, making clear my position, uh, among other things, on the importance of diversity for the agency um i believe that that issue has thankfully uh, it's in the rearview mirror and i take staff morale um very very seriously uh, and uh, I make an effort every day to reinforce that. From the uh, I top. appreciate you hear, hearing you say
1: those things, and I look forward to seeing them. I have a series of compact questions that I'll get to in a second round. Uh, Mr. Chairman, if, with your indulgence, I don't know how long Senator Isaacson is going to stay uh, uh, for the hearing, but I am thrilled uh, that uh, in uh, the final days of his time in the Senate, he is still here with us at the committee on an issue that he cares so much about. Um, And I deeply respect the work that he's done in the Senate, but certainly on this committee. Uh, He has been an enormous bridge builder, um, and we could use
3: more bridge builders in this institution. So uh, thank you, uh, Johnny, for your incredible service. Well, Mr. Chairman, thank you for saying that. And it's an honor to be back. And one of the reasons I am back is you. This guy is the best Cuban uh, uh, Irish singer, tenor. You've ever heard in your life. I was in the back of an airplane with him, in Afghanistan, with my wife sitting to my side, and Harry Reid and and Bob and and uh, he started singing from this little manual, and I it was really good. I'm terrible at that, so I don't know. I really appreciate it. And My wife just fell in love with him. I mean, I'm, I've had a lost ever since. But uh, Bob, we had a great time. Went to Afghanistan, did a lot of, had a lot of other good times. And with Ben Carson, Ben of Cardin, I've just done so much with you and Myrna. When I saw both of them were going to be here, I said, I want to be with that group. Sorry to leave you out done, Mr. Chairman. Um, I'm here to tell you that I love this committee. I had a great got on this committee in an interesting way. They called me up and said, Will you serve on the uh, formulation relations committee? I said, No, nah, I'm not, I don't, I'm not interested in that. And they said, Well, we were missing one person. We've got to have one, we're gonna lose the votes to the Democrats. I said, Okay, I was way down the list back then. So I said, I'll do it. And I had no idea I wanted to do it. And, and then they asked me to chair the Africa Subcommittee because they didn't have everybody want to do that. So I said, well, if first the first job they would give me, i better at least take the first job. So I did that, and I said, I better go to Africa and figure out what I'm doing. <clears throat> this is one of the places I went, and uh, I fell in love with the continent. I fell in love with the people. Some of the folks we've talked been talking about in here. When we were talking about Swaziland, I said, I remember something about that. And I took away the Swaziland's money. Didn't take it away, I, I didn't personally did, but I blocked them from getting money they were gonna get <clears throat> from the United States to try and bring about compliance and human rights and. General accepted principles of labor law, labor law in Africa is a whole lot different than it is in the United States. I mean, you can't mistreat anybody in the United States and, and Africa's all you can do to catch them. So I just want to say that what you're doing is important. The other thing you said is very important uh, in terms of the contractors and who you're hiring and making sure you're getting the right type of laws. If we don't stay on top of them, we'll, we'll never get it as much as we'd like to have it. But with Millennium Challenge, you have the opportunity to use a benefit as a lever of compliance. And I've seen Millennium Challenge working that way in Africa more than anywhere in the, any other government program in the world. So, And mo- I, I'm the one that got to tell them that. I said, listen, guys, the money's stopping. If you can't find a way to have open zoning meetings or whatever they were and no child labor and just very basic stuff, we're not going to invest American taxpayers' money, no matter how you say you're trying to do it. And, by uh, being able to do that and having a director at the time who was willing to put it behind that and others, and the president as well, we did it. So I think to focus on the hiring issues is something that's been raised is important because if we lose Millennium Challenge, it's bad for them, it's worse for us because we get, then get a lot more corruption because people do corrupt things to hire folks over there. So I just want to thank you for mentioning me that I'm leaving and I'm not leaving because I don't like formal legions. I love, love formal legions. Love you, Mr. Chairman. And my dear friend on the ethics committee, who served much time with me from Idaho, and I appreciate you all very much. And enjoying it, I'm going to stay here a little while longer. So, thank you for having me, Johnny. We're going to miss you. I'll miss y'all. Let's so. don't make this sad. <laughs> all
0: right. So, how about uh, Mr. Karen Cross? You want to chew on him a little? No, I will. We, uh, we were. We were.
3: I got here early to do that. <laughs> and, uh, it doesn't look like I did a very good job, Karen, but I'll try it best I can. I just want to go back to what I was saying. The, the, uh, using the lever of the, abil- of the ability to help them do something they cannot do themselves is absolutely the, the best thing we do. One of the things government always does worst is kill something for being bad that makes it worse. And by that, I mean, if you have, take a developing country or a developing small area, rural place, some, and give them a, an incentive to do something, they'll do it, but they'll also be somebody in town say, that, that's some money we can get, let's get some of that money, let's do something. They don't say let's do something corrupt, but they figure out something that nobody's doing, which probably means it's corrupt. And uh, they do it. And what you do, you, you invest some money, you help them get some money they could get any other way. Then once the seed you plant starts to grow, whatever it might be, it, then it becomes permeates the area. Uh, in uh, Ghana, we built the largest refrigerator in the world, I call it. It's a chilling five, planta- five plantations. Somebody's here from there. Five or six plantations that were put together that were independent. They now ship pineapples, have three months longer shelf life. Tremendous, like a potato gets a lot better return. And uh, that country's pineapple business is just going crazy now because we helped through millennium, millennium Challenge to build a way to get them those pineapples across the Atlantic Ocean to America and our market. And we did it by building a big refrigerator out in the middle of five plantations in the middle of Ghana. They couldn't have done that. The idea of working together to build one refrigerator for five plantations was unheard of. They did it now and they're competing in the world market. So those are the kind of things you could do. But also the port of which is next door in Benin, was closed. They got a Millennium, you tell me if I'm not right on this. They got it, we gave them a Millennium Challenge contract, which awarded to them. And the first review period, was, and they have they have to comply with all the things that they can do away with crushment. We caught them. They were below 50% on compliance. So we cut their money off in the middle of the project. And they lost the project, and they lost the money. Then they came around the next cycle. They reapplied at Millennium Challenge, and they put in, had one of the best compliance records they could have. So the loss of getting the money got them to make a good decision. Losing the money killed us, and then getting the money got us finally finishing a product and changing the laws in, uh, in Ghana with regard to employment. So in business, in New Jersey business, I know how they do business in New Jersey. I've been up there a few times. There's a price to pay if you don't do it right. There ought to be a price to pay in every business if you don't do things right. And and when you're taking the taxpayer's money and investing it and it works, it's a good thing to do. So I I commend the ranking member on his uh, focus on that part and commend Millennium Challenge as a way to two ends, further economic uh, development in foreign countries. But even in more of that compliance with the labor law, labor practices. And that's enough.
0: Did you have a question, Senator Isaacson?
3: I like to make speeches. <laughs> <laughs> They've been good. That's why they sent me on. Huh?
4: Thanks. I've, said, I've done
3: them all twice now.
4: <laughs> Senator Carton. For the benefit of those that are here, and yesterday we had an opportunity as a Senate family to express our appreciation to Johnny Isaacson for his long service Um, in both the state legislature, the House, and now here in the Senate. uh, He truly believes that bipartisanship works and he's an example of so many things getting done. The Millennium Challenge Corporation is an example of bipartisan work here, getting something done. It was there to make consequential change. I sort of think it was modeled after PEPFAR as for healthcare, care, what MCC can do for economic growth for countries that are relatively poor, that have the desire to be democratic states, in which our participation can help them with their economic power, but to preserve and strengthen the democratic principles. And that's been what the, the principles of the MCC have been about. So I'm a strong supporter of it. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the resources and how the resources are being used. I know the standards that you use to judge the different uh, uh, requests for funding, but when I look at our own hemisphere and see that we only have one compact in our hemisphere, to me I know that there are other countries who could benefit from a compact here in our own hemisphere. I know that we have move towards regional compacts. And I would like you to give your view, because I think particularly in our hemisphere, regional compacts make sense. Central America would make sense, other parts of would make sense. And just to get your view as to why, is it a matter of resources or is it a matter of lack of interest or is it, why don't we have more compacts in our own hemisphere? And are you pursuing regional compacts in order to deal with what Congress has desired?
2: Sure. With respect to uh, Central America, we do have a compact with a year to go in El Salvador. We're in Guatemala uh, on a threshold program, and we so just
4: compact. I think you only have one. Ju-
2: that's right. That's right. But but we do have a threshold program in Guatemala, and we just wrapped up a threshold program uh, with Honduras as well. That's governed, Senator, by our selection criteria. So it's a scorecard and income, the, the need merit model that we base the selection on. It's, um, and so that's the reason we are where we are in Central America uh, with respect to the countries uh, that we're in. And like I say, uh, we had a great trip to El Salvador, and that administration, the Bukele administration, has taken great strides to turn around uh, a compact that uh, was not performing as well as we wanted it to. And in the first hundred days of that administration, the disbursements rate, rates have gone up. we launched that public-private partnership, which had been stalled under the previous administration. So that's it's a good story, and I'm happy to be talking about it. With respect to regional compacts, as you know, and thank you to the committee for the support uh, for the concurrent compact authority, that's new authority, and the way that the board went about selecting the first round of regional compacts last year was to select a pool of countries, and so that was West Africa's five countries in West Africa, and the criteria were we wanted uh, contiguous borders, we wanted to be engaged in a uh, at least a first compact um, uh, when they were selected for a regional, and so. MCC has gone about scouting projects and prioritizing projects within that pool. And given that it's new authority and it is somewhat more complex than doing just a single uh, single state compact, we want to make sure getting out of the gate that that first compact is successful. There are a host of administrative challenges and, and others that we're dealing with and working through, and we expect that we're making excellent progress on it, um, but we would be happy to entertain in the future regional compacts elsewhere other than Africa.
4: When uh, MCC was created under the the Bush administration, it was anticipated that the budget support would be greater than it is today, much more funds than it is today. Um, My question to you is as a matter of resources, if you had more resources Do you have the opportunities around the world to use that consistent with the mission of MCC, and should we be looking at areas of development that we could be engaged in but we're prevented because of resources?
2: So the answer to the overall question is yes, Senator, and specifically I think what we could do given our model – in particular on selection and the criteria that we use, which I think is the core of the agency and what has made it very successful. With more, we could do more. The leveraging power that we have with the grant funds that we operate with now is remarkable in my my opinion. And it allows us to target the sort of institutional and policy reforms that other development dollars or private capital isn't really able to get Get at specifically, and with greater incentive, uh, we could we could do more. And for example, we're in Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire has been an excellent partner. Uh, they've incorporated uh, part of the President Ouattara's cabinet is incorporated the to address MCC's criteria specifically. We are developing uh, the Aquaba roundabout and the Abidjan uh, infrastructure piece so that traffic can flow more freely. But if we could also work on that transportation corridor uh, between, for example, Burkina, it would increase our impact, it would increase the economic impact, and it would increase the incentive that we have, not only for our partner countries that we're working with, but for those who want to engage with MCC.
4: That's helpful, it was Mr. Chairman. It, it would be- it would be helpful if you could get us information as to where additional resources would be used if made available for those of us that are trying to get you more support in regards to congressional appropriations. I
2: appreciate it, Senator, and we're very happy to follow up. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Senator Cardin. Senator Young. Thank you, Chairman. Mr.
5: Karen Cross, great to see you. Good Good visiting with you uh, the other day, and I enjoyed our conversation there. Um, I'm going to pick up on a couple of topics we weren't able to uh, discuss. Um, One being uh, your really important work partnering with Ivanka Trump and the White House and USAID on global empowerment of women. I I just think that's essential. The more and more that I hear from development experts, uh, uh, increasingly uh, I look to this as, as a key component of ensuring there's sustainable development in uh, these developing countries. So um, is it your intention to, perhaps our ongoing efforts, to institutionalize this emphasis on women's economic empowerment?
2: Absolutely, Senator. At first, I think it's just basic. You can't have a successful economy if 50 percent of your population's locked out of it, Um, and the data backs that up uh, to boot. MCC has always taken this issue seriously. We had a gender inclusion unit in 2006. In 2019, we expanded our gender in the economy indicator. So it not only uh, to take in more data, so rather than we were at 10 different data points in an economy for gender inclusion, we're now at 40. And this is something that uh, yes, absolutely, we'll be pressing ahead on. And we are looking to design on the economic analysis of our projects take that gender lens and make sure that that is part of it, because it touches so many pieces of what we do.
5: And and, and you mentioned data. Um, Really, MCC is known for not only collecting data, but uh, really sort of rigorously um, uh, evaluating what you have, holding people accountable to results, measuring success, and I think that has had some positive spillover effects uh, throughout the federal government, so I want to commend uh, all of those working at MCC. Uh, for that point of emphasis. Um, You know, one of the threshold questions building on uh, the line of inquiry from Senator Cardin about resources is we now have a development finance corp, all right, uh, created through the BUILD Act. Uh, I'm proud of that piece of legislation and DFC. I I see uh, high promise for its future, but um, it's, it's unclear to me whether DFC is regarded perhaps incorrectly, and I'll give you an opportunity to disabuse us of that. Is DFC regarded as a competitor to MCC in some respects, or are they complementary? I want you to speak to that Sure.
2: Issue. First, I'm, we're very excited and thank you to the committee for the support of the Build Act. I think it's a great thing that the DFC is coming online. Absolutely do not view it as a competitor. I view it I thought you'd a, say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I view it as on the development arc we MCC occupies uh the space prior to private capital coming in and making those investments and we concentrate on the enabling environment. So what is important for DFC and frankly what Opec does now is identifying what are the risks, what are the things that are holding back that investment in an economy, and how can MCC work to target those reforms and decrease those risks and make sure that the government of our partner countries are focused on on that sort of reform as well. That's really
5: helpful. So, I mean, maybe we could think of this almost as like a startup business. Uh, it's analogous, right? Uh, you, you require venture capital early on and, and and then, you know, private equity and comes in and, and so forth. So um, they're complementary, as you describe it. We need to keep that in mind as we think about resource allocation. Um, in the areas, like uh, you mentioned, there's still some opportunities to invest in MCC. Um China. China, their global influence is, is, uh, it's broadly understood, on the rise. They have a different development model, one that is predatory in nature oftentimes through their Belt and Road Initiative. This is a different model. This is one that uh, doesn't aim to breed dependency, but instead self-reliance. How can we better leverage uh, through our development and our diplomacy efforts, uh, through our global public relations efforts, uh, the, the good efforts of MCC to demonstrate that we are a better partner for developing countries.
2: Well, Senator, I think that's absolutely right. We aren't designed to compete on scale in any way with Belt and Road, but MCC is a tremendous face for an alternative model. And it's one of self-determination, it's one of openness and transparency. It, it includes the civil society of a government makes a government more responsible uh, and or more responsive to its people. And so that is something that we try to leverage and it's, such, it's a great story this agency and I think that story needs to be told to more and more people. And so one of the things that, uh, that I've tried to do is meet um, internationally and domestically with members of the private sector in particular to make clear what we're doing And the response to that, and also the response of the partner country governments that I've dealt with, um, is overwhelmingly positive. And one in particular was very direct and said, before MCC came to our country, we didn't know how to bid these projects out in the right way. We were talking a different language to the private sector. We want U.S. company engagement. We want private sector engagement. The state-owned enterprise model is not, hasn't been positive for us. Um, we want further engagement, help, help us more. And so that's, uh, I think that's very important. And I would welcome the committee's ideas and support on ways to communicate that more broadly.
5: Well, I think, I think each member of Congress, particularly members of this committee, have uh, an opportunity and, and, and a responsibility to tout the successes of MCC to, to talk about how this is a uh, model, as I indicated, designed to ensure that countries are self-reliant in the future. And um, I, through my line of questioning, I didn't want to suggest in, in the slightest that word is not getting out. In fact, the best evidence, as you and I discussed the other day, that word is getting out uh, about uh, the efficacy and attractiveness of this model is the fact that the non-compact right. neighboring countries and regional uh, countries, and even some countries further afield, uh, are making efforts to become compact eligible. So the mere possibility of receiving the funding and the technical assistance associated with MCC um, is is um, is enticing, and, and um, I just commend you and your entire team for your leadership.
2: Thank you, Senator, and I think it's important Oftentimes the focus is on what MCC does and the hard infrastructure project, but just as important is how we do it. That, frankly, is even more lasting and powerful in terms of open procurement, merit-based hiring, the sort of personnel standards that the MCAs in-country have to follow, the stakeholder buy-in and the community work that needs to be done. I've sat with beneficiaries, in particular in El Salvador, who have uh, who began by telling me they were very skeptical of well, it was a water treatment uh, project that we were doing they were skeptical of the effects on on that particular village but they appreciated the government's effort their own government's effort to engage with them and Walk them through what the benefits of this would be, and they are now supportive of it. And that sort of relationship between civil society and our partner countries, host the government, I think is a, uh, I think is a great story for for what we're doing in country.
5: I agree. Thank you. Yeah. Thank
2: you.
0: Thank you, Senator Shaheen.
6: Thank you, and thank you, Mr. Karen Cross, for being here today and for your service at the Millennium Challenge Corporation. Um, I want to follow up a little bit on Cinder Young's um, questions about um, women's empowerment and support for that through MCC. I understand that last month you traveled to Morocco with Ivanka Trump. I was very happy to see that MCC signed an agreement with the government of Morocco to f- promote female land ownership within the framework of the Women's Global Development and Prosperity Initiative, the WGDP. So can you talk a little bit more about how MCC works with the Office of Global Women's Issues at the State Department to prioritize women's economic empowerment?
2: Sure, our Senator, our interagency communications with, with all our board members are are very strong um, and women's economic empowerment, the, it's called we internally, um, is something that I've put at the top of the priority list and in fact, it now it right. is being Baked into every aspect of uh, what we're doing on our project by project basis, but we've had tremendous interagency support from the State Department, from USAID, from the White House uh, on this on this effort.
6: So, if Kelly Curry is confirmed as Ambassador at Large for Global Women's Issues, how how would you see things changing, or would you see? Um, I'm assuming that with leadership in that position that that's helpful as we think about how we implement WGDP. But do you see any changes that will occur in the working relationship and how you continue to foster um, women's empowerment?
2: Senator, I think the only change that I would see would be uh, in a positive direction. Um, The more engagement, the better Uh, I'd be Uh, I'm sure we will, uh, upon her confirmation, meet very quickly, Uh, be happy to do travel, uh, but make sure that we're focused on these issues collaboratively. I know uh, it is one of the best dollar-for-dollar investments that we make as an agency. And uh, and I just have to say, it's... It's tremendously rewarding to be in country and talk to the beneficiaries and it's remarkable um, it's remarkable how what a missed opportunity this is in so many places and it's been for so long and so it, it feels it feels great to be uh, to be part of uh, a team that's working on it.
6: good thank you. Um, I now want to switch to the Western Balkans because. Um, That continues to be a part of Europe that faces challenges, many of them economic, and their economic success is critical to their Western integration and integration into the transatlantic community. I know that's a place where China is increasingly investing in the region, so I was pleased to see that. In September of 2017, MCC and the government of Kosovo signed a $49 million threshold program to implement policy and institutional reforms in the areas of energy and rule of law. So, can you update us on how that's going in Kosovo? Whether there are other things that we should be thinking about in Congress as we try and support what's happening there?
2: Sure. Well, we do have the ongoing threshold program um, in energy efficiency and, and rule of law, but we also are in development on a compact uh, that will be in the energy sector as well. And so that's a, uh, that will be the larger infrastructure project, the five-year um, project. And like I say, that's in development, but we expect to continue to work closely with the committee and its staff uh, so there's full eyes on uh, what we're doing in Kosovo. But it's a, the threshold program is proceeding well. Um, we're pleased with it. And that's frankly the reason why we're proceeding on a compact.
6: So what does that mean for next steps, and what's—you said you're looking at a five-year horizon sure. on the compact, so— so
2: the, so the way that goes, Senator, is it's in the same sector. It's in, it'll be an energy sector compact, and we've gone through the initial constraints analysis and root cause analysis. We're now looking at the various projects that would uh, address those core constraints on economic growth, once we've identified those, it'll go through the Investment Management Committee internally, but we will be in close contact uh, with the committee and uh, and you'll, we'll keep you updated as, as we're updated.
6: And are there other um, neighboring countries in the Balkans that you think are potential candidates for uh, working with MCC?
2: Well, the, the nearest Senator, in the, in the region would be Georgia where we just wrapped up a second, very successful compact. Um, they've now graduated out of our income pool. Um, but to, to date uh, I don't, and I'm happy to follow up with, with more information, but I don't believe that there's um, a candidate country that's on the, on the, on the cusp in the region.
6: What about Bosnia. Is that um, a place where you have done any work and have um, had any discussions with folks?
2: We haven't, Senator. Again, this comes back to our selection criteria, Mm -hmm. and I don't know off sitting here where they stand on our scorecard, but I'm happy to follow up uh, with your office on that.
6: Um, That would be great. I appreciate that. I think Bosnia is one of the other countries in the Western Balkans that um, has significant economic challenges, and if there are ways that we can encourage them to continue to look west, it's really important to do that. Thank you Mr. Chairman.
7: Thank you you, Mr. Chairman, thank you Mr. Karen Cross for uh, your service uh, and uh, testimony today. Uh, you've talked, uh, when I came into the committee hearing, you were talking to Senator Young about the Build Act and some of the work that we have done in this committee regarding uh, that legislation. Uh, we've also passed legislation in the Asia Reassurance Initiative Act. A number of members of this committee uh, helped uh, provide a, a billion dollars over five years to State Department's Human Rights Defenders Fund. That's just one of the things that... Uh, Uh, Aria would do. We recently passed the Taiwan Allies International Protection and Enhancement Act Mm -hmm. uh, initiative, excuse me, the Taipei Act, which uh, talks about how we can help improve Taiwan's standing around the world. And it comes in response to increased Chinese pressures, uh, quite frankly, bullying tactics intended to restrict Taiwan's international space uh, and global diplomatic recognition. Uh, MCC obviously plays an important role in our foreign policy and the efforts to build economies uh, to engage countries with good governance. Uh, you have talked about contractual opportunities to improve the rule of law. Uh, in uh, December of last year, I believe it was, MCC entered into an agreement or entered into an opportunity with the Solomon Islands uh, to uh, fund a, a program. Um, But in September, the Solomon Islands switched their diplomatic relations to Beijing. So MCC did this in December of last year, uh, and uh, Beijing convinced them to switch their uh, recognition in September of this year. So could you talk about maybe some of the strategic thinking that MCC had back in December, and what implications the switch in September means, and whether or not we should change our course with Solomon Islands going forward?
2: Sure, Senator. We are in with a threshold program in the Solomon Islands. Um, the board, the MCC board, selected uh, the Solomons as um, as a can as a partner country. It is the MCC's focus on uh, poverty reduction through economic growth, and that singular laser focus is what I believe has kept the agency. Um, kept it successful and adherence to that model has maintained a strong bipartisan support for a long period of time. And so we look at when we are making board selections, uh, the agency looks at the arc of of a country and the trajectory that they're on. Is this a country that is trying to do the right thing and worthy of our support and stamp of approval? And so when something happens in the interim, we of course have to assess what the impact of that is. And uh, if it's still in alignment with our uh, eligibility criteria and they're adhering to what they said they were going to do. Um, I understand. And I appreciate the concern um, uh, with that you have on that particular issue. And that's something that we're monitoring and, uh, talking about as, a, uh, as an agency and
7: a board. And if you look out um, in other countries that perhaps uh, are under same or similar pressure from Beijing, uh, does that enter into the conversations you have with those countries?
2: It, it, it does, Senator. And the difficult thing is, like I say, we really aren't designed to compete on scale. So what we are is an alternative model. And I believe that what we bring with that model is uh, is very powerful. It's a signal not only to the, the stamp of approval for the government and a knowledge transfer on a process of how to execute a sustainable project that will be long-lasting and has your own people's buy-in, but it's also a signal to the investment world and uh, capital looking to come into a market that this is... Someplace worthy of a of a further look, and so that is something that we uh, is a powerful leverage tool for us, and we are, like in, Cote d'Ivoire, when I was talking about with the Bechtel, uh, MOU, that so that's a great example of that will produce a list a prioritized list of national infrastructure planning that the government of Cote d'Ivoire has signed off on we've signed off on as signatories to it and it's been produced by an American but highly specialized, competent firm. And so were projects to be engaged that are not on that list, um, it would would raise questions as to who was making those decisions, how they were being made, and then it would be publicly known uh, for the people of Cote d'Ivoire that that was not on the list. And so that's the sort of thing that I think we can bring to the table. And uh, and serve as a uh, uh, serve as a great point of leverage for the United States. Great. Thanks, Mr. Karen Cross. Thank Thanks, Mr. Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Um,
0: the ranking member has, I think, some more questions for you. Before we do that, I just want to briefly touch on a couple of points, and that is, can you uh, give me a, a general thought uh, about uh, your thinking? On your relationship with the new uh, International Development Finance Corporation, realizing that's a work in progress yeah. and uh, it's getting stood up, but and you know it's not exactly what you do, but it's related and sure. seems to me it needs to dovetail. What what are your thoughts on that?
2: I've had a great several meetings with uh, with Adam Bowler, uh, the, the recently confirmed head uh, of the agency. We're looking forward to the agency coming fully online, um, and we've had a great relationship with OPEC in the past uh, as well, and continue that. We've talked about ways to uh, work together so that there are full eyes on our pipeline, what we're doing in-country, and then what their pipeline looks like, and in particular, what their investors, as I said, are worried about in uh, in these markets. What are the risk factors? What are the concrete things that hold back investment in a market? There's a lot of talk about corruption or rule of law conceptually, but I think I'm a fan of targeting concrete things that can be uh, that can be changed and measured, and that's what we are seeking collaboratively to identify.
0: I appreciate that. Um, On a more parochial note, um, my state has a a number of connections with Mozambique, and uh, I was there this summer, and obviously um, there's some reasons to be concerned there. Uh, I I wonder if you could give me your thoughts on that, and if you think that uh, Mozambique is still eligible under your checklist, uh, could could you give me your thoughts on that, please? Sure. Um,
2: I think that, and I understand and and appreciate the concerns on the you're talking about the recent elections, Senator. Yeah, amongst
0: other things, but certainly that's yeah. one of
2: them. Um, Mozambique passes the scorecard this year. They've been a uh, they've been a strong scorecard performer uh, historically, and this is a place where we have uh, we've engaged in a compact in the past. It's been. That compact was largely successful moving forward. There are some implementation issues that I know are being um, focused on and addressed currently. But this is, it is a country that qualifies and, uh, and I believe in every environment where we work, we face hard challenges. I mean, it is, we do not work in easy places and Mozambique is no different. So in any engagement with any partner country is reliant on an expression and a commitment by the partner country government to engage in the sorts of reforms that we are uh, trying, to, trying to achieve.
0: Mm. Uh, I, uh, I understand that. And obviously if it was an easy place, there'd be no need for you to be there. So uh, I understand the challenges in that regard. One of the things that always strikes me about uh, developing countries uh, is is how quickly they can go south on you, and um, that that's something that, uh, that that's always of concern. And uh, so I'd underscore the need for you for your agency uh, when you when you start seeing symptoms or you start seeing evidence that uh, you act quickly to. Uh, uh, to try to turn the thing around, because uh, we, we've we've seen lots and lots of examples about how quickly uh, these countries can slip off the edge.
2: Senator, I think, as I said in my statement, I think accountability is, and the agency's credibility, is what has made it as successful as it's been. I also believe that uh, in open and frank communication with our stakeholders, our board members, this committee, and... Um, and making sure people have an understanding of the situation in country and what we are doing. And so I would expect that that would continue, um, that relationship would continue.
0: I appreciate that. Senator Menendez. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
1: I just have some compact-specific questions. Uh, MCC recently initiated the termination of the $190 million compact with Ghana uh, because there were reconcilable differences surrounding the host government's disputed allegations of fraud, Uh, And I think you're all acting appropriately, but uh, I want to get a few assurances on a few matters here. What impact will these return funds have on MCC's budget? For example, will it affect your FY21 budget request? Uh, Will you advocate for maintaining MCC's annual budget request, despite these funds returning to the MCC budget?
2: Yes, Senator, I, I will advocate for that. I don't view the de-obligation of those funds as tied to a budget request. I think that making it a zero-sum game would be bad for at least two reasons. The first is just the precedent of a lowered request uh, or a lower number would be hard to then change. Uh, and just as importantly, I think that it would skew agency decision making on the accountability side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like I say, that's I think that's an existential matter for the agency. I think without that credibility, uh, we would be unable to function. I
1: agree with you. Will you' commit to dutifully applying these funds appropriately to MCC operations and programs?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: yes. What lessons from the experience are you applying to the rest of the Ghana Compact?
2: Sure, Senator. Well, one of the, one of the lessons uh, is that it is having measurable points of conditions precedent and tranching out the money uh, in, a, uh, in a measured way is of vital importance. Mm-hmm. And we are engaged in Ghana with $308 million in the remainder of that energy compact. We are working diligently with them to make sure that that is as successful as possible. and our team is looking at ensuring that those that that remaining compact is as impactful as possible. Um, and the government of Ghana has committed to um, uh, to infusing its own capital into our compact as well. And so I think that that is a good partnership. like you say, there were reconcilable differences for the disbursement of that 190 the key component of that was the privatization of the state power utility and that concession moving forward these are sovereign nations senator sometimes they make a different decision all we can do is be clear about what the consequence is with respect to the grant money that we're engaged in that contract or that compact with with them uh, before it goes out Let
1: me turn to Sri Lanka. Uh, They just elected Gudabaya Rajapaska, who was implicated in war crimes and human rights violations during the Civil War as its president. He named his brother Mahinda, also suspected of war crimes and human rights abuses, as prime minister and minister of several other ministries, including finance and economic affairs. And another brother has been placed in charge of multiple ministries. It must be uh, a a dearth of human talent in in the country. The the new foreign minister uh, has said that the government will review and revisit the 2015 UN uh, Human Rights Council resolution promoting accountability and reconciliation following wartime abuses. Uh, That word review, to me, signals a backsliding uh, on these commitments, not progress. So I I state all those facts to get a sense from you. Will this change uh, in government affect MCC's compact? What discussion has MCC had with the new government regarding its eligibility to proceed with the compact? And if the election is not disqualifying in its face, and instead you see the compact as leverage for gaining a commitment to reform or public embrace of and protecting human rights, What form of proof of that commitment will MCC need the new government to deliver in order to proceed with the compact? Uh,
2: Well, Senator, uh, just to back up in a little bit of context, the cabinet, the Sri Lankan cabinet, did approve the compact immediately prior to the election. MCC deliberately did not sign that compact in order to see the outcome of that election and then to make an assessment about whether what the new government would look like and whether or not this is a government that is responsive to the people of Sri Lanka. And so moving forward, uh, at a bare minimum, what MCC would need to see is an expression of support and embracing the sort of reforms that we are targeting in that compact, that this is something that is beneficial to the Sri Lankan people. Uh, But we have had a very, I believe, good and open dialogue with your staff uh, and the committee staff on this question. We are continuing to monitor this very closely and I expect that we will be in close communication uh, moving forward, certainly before we make any decision. Do you envision
1: any conditions that may constitute a violation of this compact based on
2: Rajapaska's history? So, I'm not sure I have a a great answer for that question because I don't know what this will look like moving forward, but I do know that uh, we will be requiring, like I say uh, at the at a bare minimum a strong expression of support by the new government for the reforms that we are pushing for the Sri Lankan We'll people. Be, we'll be looking forward to see uh, what those
1: expressions are. Let me turn to Mongolia for a moment. They're pursuing a $350 million compact to improve uh, system capacity and since and access to safe drinking water supplies. That's just That's good stuff, as well as funding responsible industrial uses for reclaimed wastewater. But I have concerns about how the Mongolians plan to meet two specific conditions of the content I mentioned in my opening statement. One is to address rather than service uh, the Water Authority's $73 million debt with a shell gain that would move the debt off the utility books and put it on the books of another department within the government. Additionally, the Mongolian government has yet to develop a sustainable financing policy to cover long-term maintenance and operation of the new water system. Uh, they view raising revenues as a political problem and in my mind seem rather cavalier about developing an appropriate revenue mechanism. Would MCC approve of a country moving debt around on its books as an adequate solution for addressing complying with the compact's outstanding debt service requirements?
2: Two parts to that answer, Senator. The first is with respect to the tariff regime. That is something that we are engaged in working with Mongolians on. It's vital to the sustainability of the project. There have been increases in that tariff since we began working with them. Of course, tariffs related to water are tricky issues, but this is something that the government has committed to us uh, as part of a condition to move forward on. With respect to the debt, uh, it is a sovereign debt but for the government of Mongolia, and our engagement with this has identified that debt and it is now a public issue. People are aware of it and the government is forced to deal with that debt and we are engaged in trying to find uh, ways to help uh, them do so. But this is typically, uh, in many cases, debt that is hidden off the books. The people of that country are not aware of it. The government does not discuss it. It is now in the open and it is... Uh, it, Per your question in a hearing, needs to be addressed. You know, I
1: I, I understand that, appreciate it's a sovereign debt, uh, but like every sovereign decision, to the extent that we're going to engage and commit money, we have an opportunity to raise the question. And so I'm just, I'd, I'd hate to see a precedent. We're just moving debt around on a ledger sheet somehow. Uh, is the way in which we meet with financing obligations at the end of the day. And so I just commend that to your attention as a concern. And then finally, I have one or two others, but I'm just I'm not going to be labor, I'll submit them for the record. But on Morocco, uh, uh, its last MCC compact wrapped up in 2013 after spending about $650 650 million on projects that improved, including uh, improving fruit tree productivity, supporting local artisans, improving production for small-scale fisheries. Yet, between 2016 and 17, Morocco was, uh, uh, saw uh, widespread protests through the northern countryside uh, against poor governance, corruption, unemployment, among other things. There remains widespread frustration at the lack of economic opportunity that pushed many young Moroccans to ultimately migrate to Europe which has uh, become one of the most significant, largest routes into Europe from Africa. So why was a second compact granted to Morocco so soon after the first?
2: Well, Senator, that was, of course, before I arrived at the, at the agency, and I'd be happy to follow up with you on the specific reasons um, the board direction in that regard. What I can tell you is the part of the project that we're engaged in now is focused on human capital, uh, in particular, TVET training, uh, and in even more specifically focused on women in the economy, and we've engaged uh, one of the first uh, cash-on-delivery programs in that regard, which is, in order for MCC funds to go to the NGOs who are doing that job training, they have there has to be evidence that the trained individual has been gainfully employed uh, for six months. And so that's seeing results. We, we toured a um, an aviation facility, repair facility, and it was a uh, it was a fascinating uh, look, and frankly, very inspiring to talk to the beneficiaries of the program. And so that sort of focus on human capital we hope has a uh, has a uh, has a good result for Morocco. Yeah.
1: Well, hopefully it has a deterring effect on, uh, on yep. human capital fleeing the country That's at the right. end of the day. Uh, the chairman could probably attest to the fact that I'm very i uh, sparing in my compliments. Uh, from, uh, unfortunately, these days I haven't had a lot of reasons uh, to do so from my perspective. But I must say you've acquitted yourself well here. If you follow through on the things that you said, both in your answers to questions during your confirmation and what you've made here, I think we have a, a pretty good future ahead for the MCC.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Senator
0: Menendez. Uh, well said, I think, and uh, we're, uh, we're looking forward to your continued leadership there, Mr. Cairncross. Thank you for your uh, uh, attending here today and, and briefing us. Uh, for the m- information, the members of record will remain open until the close of business on Thursday. If there are such questions, we'd appreciate that uh, you get to them as quickly as possible so that uh, we can conclude the hearing transcript. So with that, this uh, hearing's adjourned.